This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm your host today, Patrick Edwards. And I just got to say, it's good to be back on the podcast. We've got an exciting show for you. I've got a special guest all the way from Pennsylvania via Zoom. I have Rebecca Boyd here on with me, and she is a lover of the outdoors, a gun enthusiast, loves her horses, loves to go riding. And so I'm very excited to have her talk a little bit about women in shooting sports, women shooting guns, the right to bear arms, some of those really cool things that we have in this country. And so, Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here and with all your listeners. Yeah, it's it's really exciting to have you. I had actually heard you on another podcast, and I was like, well, I'm going to have to have her on mine so that she can have the RADCAST experience. And so can you do just like a quick introduction, a little bit about yourself, and then we'll dive into the questions? Yeah, definitely. So I grew up born and raised in Northeast Pennsylvania. I grew up, my dad owned a lot of property and a Christmas tree farm, so I, I grew up in the outdoors all the time. I didn't get into shooting or firearm sports until I was in my 20s, but I had the love for the outdoors. So when I started shooting, it was part of that love for just being outside that that drew me to that. So in your 20s, what got you into shooting and shooting sports? Yeah, so it, a lot of people are surprised it wasn't hunting um, because I grew up with a dad who hunted a lot all throughout my childhood. Not that I didn't have the interest as I got older because I did, but what first got me into firearms was more so wanting something for myself for home protection. And also, I'm a big supporter of the Second Amendment, so that played a part too. Um, I knew I wanted to get a firearm. So I started doing a lot of research, what would be best to start with, to learn with, and just kind of grow and go from there. So, and, and once I got my first firearm, you know, I, I really found that I enjoyed shooting. And again, it was something that got me in the outdoors. So it was like two positive things. And I, it just kind of went from there. Yeah. You had talked about it before that basically you wanted to live outside. I mean, as a kid, you, you wanted to do anything you could to be outside all the time. So as a little kid, what was Rebecca doing? I mean, what were you, were you running around playing in the trees, playing in the dirt? I mean, what did that look like for you? Yeah, pretty much. Um, my mom always said that, you know, if I could sleep outside that I would, um, she always had a hard time drawing me back in the house. Um, I would be, if I had off from school, I would be outside from sunrise to sundown. I loved being outside, just going hiking and walking through the woods and, you know, being out with my dogs and just enjoying nature. So my dad had a lot of, you know, ponds and go fishing and just have a blast outside. So yeah, there was nothing really in indoor that seemed like more fun to me as a child you know, as being outside. Well, I think all the listeners will agree with you on that. The best thing is to be outside doing something, whether that's fishing, hunting, hiking, camping, whatever it is. And, you know, I can remember when I was a little Mm -hmm. kid, same thing. 
I wanted to be outside. I was, I would come up to my grandparents' farm and I would play outside. I'd play in the tree row, in the pasture, wherever, you know, I'd be running around, getting into trouble, having a good time. So that's, that's, that's definitely a good thing. And you know, it's, it's good for kids to be able to do that. And we need to (laughs) really, you know, try to allow our kids to do that. I know my kids are fortunate enough to live on a farm, so they get to go out and play all the time. And I think that's such a healthy thing for, for kids. Yeah, it really is. I agree. Like the more we can encourage kids to go outside and do outdoor activities and just, you know, play outside, kids are very creative. So it's like once they get out there, you know, you always find something to do. Like we would build stick forts and, <laughs> you know, just the outside in the woods and and it was really fun you know and it's easy for kids to um kind of get stuck inside and sit in front of the tv so you know once they get outside you know that push to just get them out um they really do enjoy it so yeah it's definitely a healthy thing yeah, it's it's better for their brain and better for their bodies so i think shooting and shooting sports is a it's kind of a cool way for kids to do that. So like, you know, with 4-H and these other activities, you know, kids can get involved in archery, be outside shooting, or they can, you know, start doing air rifles and 22s, those kind of things. So I do want to kind of move that direction. So for kids, I'm a dad, David's a dad. What advice would you give to moms and dads out there that are listening on how to get their kids started in shooting sports? Like what's the right age? What's the right level to kind of start that process? Right. So I get asked this question quite often. Six, seven is for a rifle, like a 22 or even like a BB gun and, and, Um, gun safety, making sure that they know how to handle the firearm properly, you know, um, and always encourage them, even like with toy guns, (laughs) you know, because it's like our, our, our kids grow up with toy guns and it's like shoot and bang, bang. So it's good to kind of instill in them, even from an early age before they're handling uh, real firearms, you know, like guns are a weapon. So, you know, don't, don't point at anything that you don't want to shoot. You know, same goes for like toy rifles that can still throw a projectile out. I think it's good to start kids at a young age. Better to have them know proper gun safety than, you know, be at a friend's house and not know. So a lot of times I know moms are generally concerned, you know, that it's a dangerous tool, you know, but if you are teaching your child the proper safety that goes along with that tool, kids generally do very well in paying attention and learning how to handle that properly. So, yeah, I always talk, talk to my kids about, you know, having positive control of your firearm, you know, having good control of it, and then also making sure it's pointed in a safe direction. You know, those are kind of the the big things, and like you said, if you're not intending to shoot something, don't point the muzzle of the gun at it. It's it's just like that with a Nerf gun or anything Hi. else. The other thing that I've noticed in the industry is that you have kind of a, it's kind of harder for women, unfortunately. Like if a, if a young lady wants to come in and do shooting, there's almost like a stigma or like, oh, I don't know if you should shoot that 12 gauge or I don't know if you should shoot that 270 or 30 out six. It's almost like, People are like, Uh well, I don't know if that girl can handle it. 
Can you talk about some of those stigmas and barriers and things that you've seen coming into the industry and then had to overcome? Yeah, definitely. Be happy to. Um, there is definitely a stigma, I feel, and it depends on, you know, it's like with anything. Um, you can walk into one particular gun store and not have any issues, and you can walk into another gun store as a, as a female and kind of feel, <laughs> you know, like they're not too sure about um you know, the firearm that you're interested in, if, if you should even be interested in that firearm. Um, a lot of times, you know, you kind of get labeled as, oh, it's a female, you know, here's a 22. <laughs> even if you have the experience with higher caliber firearms. Um, so generally I tell women just, you know, never be afraid to, Start the process, number one, because everyone has to start somewhere. So if you're a beginner and you don't know much about firearms, don't hesitate to, you know, educate yourself. Take um, a beginner course because something like a beginner course, everyone in the class is going to be a beginner. um, And that's what, what the instructors are going to be expecting. And when it comes to shopping around for a firearm, you know, whether you're a first time buyer or not, um, you can read online. I did a lot of reading before I I purchased my first firearm just because I wanted to get some kind of an idea of what would be the right fit for me for, you know, the use that I wanted it for, what caliber would be best um, for my, my weight, my size, what would I feel most comfortable with starting out. Um, so that gave me a little bit of knowledge going forward into um, the buying process for my first firearm. So that helped out a little bit. But never be afraid to ask questions. Yeah, so tell me about your first experience buying a firearm. What was that like? Uh, so my first uh, firearm I got at a gun show, actually. Um and I was a first-time buyer. I knew that I wanted something that was, you know, a good caliber to start out with. So I figured on a 22, um, I wanted something um, to start just for practice and to get comfortable with. So I got a Mossberg 22. It was a semi-automatic rifle. And I started practice with that. Um, I got really good. Uh, I got comfortable with it, safety. And, you know, then I started at like, you know, something like 25 yards. And (laughs) then I kept moving the target further and further and got more comfortable with it that way. So um, it really just takes time and practice. And once I felt comfortable with that, I felt like I was ready to move on to something something else um and also concealed carry i was interested in that as well that's cool to always hear how like people start i remember my start was with a little bb gun you know it's kind of like ralphie and uh christmas story you know the little bb gun (laughs) and going out and you know shooting pop cans and then you know little 
little paper targets and those kind of things. And then just kind of worked my way up. But I think everybody who's used a firearm kind of has a story like that, you know, where they started with either an air rifle or a 22 or maybe even a 20 gauge or a 410, you know, something like that and, and got their start. But it's kind of interesting when you start with one, then you're like, well, I wonder what the other ones are like. And so then you start kind of that progression. What was that like for you? That was a rifle that I had. So um, I wanted to purchase, you know, other types of firearms. So I wanted a handgun. And again, with that, I did a lot of reading because I wanted it for concealed carry. So I did a lot of reading about what would be a good caliber to start for concealed carry. I went with a 380. Um, The actual handgun is probably about the size of my hand and I have small hands and it was easy to conceal. I took kind of some getting used to just because there were like, you know, it's such a small handgun that the recoil, even though it was a 380, I mean, it felt kind of like it was going to flip out of your hands if you didn't keep a good grip on it, but it was nothing too crazy. And I got used to it and very comfortable with that as well. So um, then from there, I moved up to a nine millimeter And I just kind of would alternate depending on the day, you know, what clothing I was wearing or how I was going to carry. Um, I would alternate between the two. I eventually got some revolvers too. I love revolvers. Even though, you know, you don't really carry those, I don't, but I just enjoy having them. So, and then I got an AR-15 and an AK-47 and a 308. So I kind of ventured up <laughs> into the other caliber. <laughs> like you said, you know, once you start shooting one, you're kind of like, I wonder what that next one is like. So, yeah. And so what's the largest caliber you've fired so far? That I fired, I don't own it, but, but um, I fired a 50 caliber and that was a lot of fun. So, yeah, that was definitely a blast to shoot. It was quite the experience. Yeah, I was going to say, you've, you've, you've already outdone me. I've never shot a 50 cal, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. I would recommend it if you ever get the chance just, just for the experience. You know, the recoil wasn't bad, um, but it, it was definitely a lot of fun to shoot. Yeah, I was at an Air Force base this last year doing a tour, and they had this they had different equipment pulled out, and one of the trailers that they had had a whole bunch of different types of rifles. Well, then they had the 50 caliber pulled out and then you could like lay on the ground and look through the scope like you would if you were going to actually use it. And it was really cool. I was like, man, I wish we could shoot this. And the guy's like, yeah, we'd like to let you shoot it, but we can't. (laughs) I was like, darn it. I don't really want to do that. So one of these days I'll have to shoot the 50 cal. Yeah, definitely. I think you'd love it for sure. Yeah, it can reach way out there, so that's pretty cool. But real quick, I'm going to talk about another one of our sponsors, which is PK Lures. We're really grateful for their sponsorship of the podcast. It is ice fishing season most places still in in the country. So if you haven't tried PK Lures and their jigging spoons, get out there and try those. Our last episode was with Tim Jenny. He's a freshwater fishing Hall of Famer and had the world record walleye there for a little while. So you'll have to go back and listen to that if you're chasing after walleye. There's some great tips on there for catching trout and other things as well. But go to pklure.com. You can pick up your own PK spoons, PK flutterfish, any of their other baits. And if you use PK Pro at checkout, you get 
15% off. So I did want to ask you about this too. There's a trend in hunting and in shooting where there are more women involved, especially since COVID. So can you talk a little bit about why that might be and just kind of your perspective on it? Uh, I think it may be a couple of different things. I think um, for the first time in a long time, people were kind of getting back to the outdoors and getting back to um you know, activities that they didn't typically have time for. Um, and during COVID, you know, a lot of the safest things was to be doing something with other people outside. So I think that could have contributed. Um, and also we saw a lot of new first-time gun owners in the United States as well. So I think a combination of the two. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot more people. I know here in Wyoming, we had a just an explosion in tourism way more people putting in for hunting tags, a lot more people on the water fishing. And then of course, a lot more people picking up shooting sports. I was at our local retailer that handles most of the firearms for the community and they were selling out of everything. I mean, it was just crazy. The kind of demand that they had and people were, you know, they just want to get outside and do something. So they're like, you know what? Maybe I haven't shot in a long time or maybe I want to get into shooting. And so they'd come in and they'd, they make their order and they get what they need and then they go. And I think it's, you know, it kind of goes back to what we talked about with kids. It's really good for adults as well to be outside and, and to go experience those things. But what do you think are some of the implications with that? Because I'm, it's great when people are interested, but it's also great when they go and they get educated on how to mm-hmm. use them properly. And I, and I wonder, you know, what other kind of implications are there with more people being out doing those kind of things? I think, you know, it's good that people are wanting to be outside and getting into firearms. And one reason that just so that they can get the proper training, those activities safely um, and feel comfortable with their firearm. So um, some first time gun owners, you know, they feel a little hesitant, like they don't want to take a class because they don't want to look silly if they're not you know, well-educated on how to properly use it. And that's what the classes are for. So the more that you practice, the more comfortable that you feel, the more you practice and the better you become with it. I've noticed there's a lot more places offering classes, you know, of this is how you, how you do it, whether it be, you know, NRA pistol certifications or whatever. There's a lot of different options out there so that you can do that. One of the best options, in my opinion, is like hunter safety. You know, that's a big thing here in Wyoming is, you know, just basic firearm safety is hunter safety. And so right. if any of you are listening to this and you haven't done hunter safety yet, that's a great first step. And then I think another great step is like I took all the NRA pistol certifications and that was a really great yeah. set of courses for me because... I didn't understand all the differences. I didn't understand all the intricacies and it taught me about not just the safety aspect, which was a huge part of it, but also what's going to fit me the best. And I spent a lot of time on the range trying different types of handguns. You know, you talked about revolvers and pistols. It's like, well, there's single action, there's double action. There's all these different things that you don't really think about and they all have right. a different application. And so it was kind of cool to to take those courses and get that knowledge and, and start using those. So one of the things I always come back to is, you know, we do have the ability to go out and do shooting recreation. We have that ability. Mm-hmm. 
It's part of the Second Amendment. It's it's a right that we've had. And why is it so important from your perspective? Why why does that one matter to you? I mean, I have my own spiel, but what's what, why is it important to you? The Second Amendment, I feel, is really the backbone of the United States Constitution. So the Second Amendment really protects the first. Without the Second Amendment, you know, the way that our, our founding fathers set it up was that was there. So... You know, if in any event there was government that became tyrannical, we would have that Second Amendment to defend ourselves and our freedom and our families. So I'm very passionate about that. There's definitely um, this move in the United States that is making steps towards infringing on the Second Amendment. So I think a big problem when it comes to that is just lack of of knowledge when it comes to firearms. I hear a lot of, you know, talk about like AR-15s and assault rifles. And, you know, a lot of people don't even know that AR doesn't stand for assault rifle. It stands for Armalite rifle, which is just a makeup. And it's just, it's really just a semi-automatic rifle. You pull the trigger one bullet comes out, it's just like, you know, a lot of handguns, you know, you could, same thing with a nine millimeter handgun, you pull the trigger, one bullet comes out. A lot of people think that they're the full auto where you pull the trigger and just a spray of bullets come out. And part of the problem has been people in the media, you know, talking about it in that way. And it's just a misrepresentation misrepresentation. They don't do their homework and they don't really know the functionality of, of their 15. So yeah, the Armalite rifle, it's, it's always been kind of comical to me to see politicians say, well, AR is assault rifle. It's like, no, it's actually a brand, <laughs> you know, there's lots of different makes and models of, you know, the assault rifle, I guess, if you want to put that in air quotes, but you know, it's, it's a tool and it, and yeah, I mean, I've shot ARs. It's, you know, we, we have a really cool opportunity here. I've been able to go out and, and, and do some range time with some of our local police officers. And, you know, the, they're a great tool. And like you said, you don't pull the trigger and have like 60 bullets flying. You know, you, you pull the trigger and one bullet right. comes out. So it's a semi-automatic. And just dispelling some of those things is, is kind of difficult just because the, I think in hunting and in shooting in general, it's been demonized now for quite a while. I, I was telling some people, like, if you look at just even kids movies back to Bambi and, uh, you know, the, the, the Fox and the Hound, some of those, it's like, you know, they make the hunter just look like a horrible crazed person who's just out there trying to shoot everything. And that's not what we are at all. Just like in shooting sports, same thing, you know, we're not just out there flinging bullets and just seeing what'll happen. And so I don't know how we go about changing that other than being good ambassadors for the sport and, and having those good conversations. And I had one of those the other day about the North American conservation model and, and why that's important for preserving wildlife. So what are some tips in your opinion, if you're going to have a conversation with maybe that family member, that friend that's just dead set against guns, they say, Oh, well, you know, guns are the reasons for all the problems. What do you say to that? I think, you know, people have this idea that if we just ban a certain kind of gun that we're going to, you know, reduce a lot of, a, a lot of gun violence in the United States. And, and the big push is, and, and 
um, the government wanting to ban AR-15s is the idea that, you know, that will stop mass shootings from happening. Um, and that's not really the case. Mass shootings still happen in countries that have banned guns of all kinds, not just semi-auto and full auto, but all guns. They still happen. And we often see when we look at statistics in other countries that crime rates actually start to go up because now criminals who, you know, don't obey gun laws and still obtain guns now still have those weapons and they know that the law-abiding citizen is disarmed. So when you look at things like that, and when you look at, even in the United States, self-defense with a gun um, is used a lot to save lives. And you don't really hear about that on the news because, you know, it's, <laughs> they don't really consider that newsworthy. But when you look at the stats just overall for violence, typically even the cities in the United States that have the strictest gun laws have the highest rates of gun crime. So gun laws and gun restrictions don't really reduce gun crime. So, And really, you would be infringing on the rights of United States citizens while also not really reducing crime. So it's hard to really make that argument when you look at, at the facts as to would it really be beneficial for us to ban guns or certain kinds of guns. You know, if it would, I think... For myself, okay, I would be on board with that. But when you look at it, it's just not the case. So, and like I said, it's really the backbone of, of the United States Constitution. So, Oh, there's David. Hey, he made it on. How you doing? <laughs> For a little bit, just listening. I didn't want to interrupt. So no, you're good, man. I've got two Welcome. We're here at the trade show, if you can see me. Um, yeah, it's busy, so it's been crazy. Uh, Rebecca, nice to meet you. Uh, pretty quickly, my thought went to add to this two cents is um, anytime the government puts in a price ceiling or a price floor by creating a law, you create a black market A, right? But B, the restrictions on guns is, I mean, we could, we could go round and round and argue about it forever. However, simply put, reducing magazines or, or putting a limit on the Second Amendment, like you said, just, just harms the first, right? Right. Yeah, but great, definitely. And uh, you look at the FBI statistics and, you know, the other side, to, to play devil's advocate, they argue, well, you don't, you want to save lives, right? You, you don't want to have people killed. The most violent weapon is a baseball bat. You don't see us putting restrictions or serializing or, you know, putting age restrictions on baseball bats. But furthermore, I'll go all the way to drunk driving accidents. That is 100% curable today. There's 54,000 people a year killed on our roads by somebody who got behind the wheel who shouldn't have, right? You know, the, the thought that we're going to pass this law, we're going to have a magazine restriction, we're going to have a caliber restriction, and all of a sudden we're going to have a safer society, it's actually counterintuitive. If you want to have a safer society, look at Sweden. Everybody's trained, everybody's deployed in the army, everybody goes home with their weapon, is trained to secure, is a standing army ready to go, right? And the crime is non-existent. It's rural America versus populated America. Come on, Chicago is one of the strictest gun-controlled cities in the nation. 
and there's yeah. 50 murders every weekend there with pistols. Yeah. And criminals don't abide by gun laws. This is a little more political than we normally get, which is fine. I like it. Right? Okay. It's pretty straightforward. The Second Amendment wasn't written because the deer were coming. That's, That's right. A, and it doesn't matter how many rounds my weapon holds. A tyrannical government is a tyrannical government, and they will step on the throats of the citizens until they get what they want. And the founding fathers were wise enough to see that, had seen where we came from, and said, no, we're not. We're going to set up a system here. And you can ask historians, why didn't Japan ever invade mainland USA during World War II? I don't remember which general it was that had studied in California, but he said there would be a rifle behind every blade of grass. You would not win that war. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And um, to 1.6 million um, self defense cases in the United States with a law-abiding citizen defending themselves. So that's 1.6 million, generally speaking, citizens in the United States who are using a firearm for self-protection every year that go, it goes unheard of. So, you know, it doesn't make the news, but the fact that citizens have a weapon to protect themselves is saving lives every day. So... And you're right to take to take firearms away from law-abiding citizens. It it just creates more crime. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's a heart problem, right? We're, we're, it's all the way down to somebody out there today is planning on harming another person. If they want to do it, age, weapon, caliber restrictions aren't going to stop them. Right. Yeah. So the only thing that makes a 115-pound petite blonde little girl equal with a 350-pound man is a pistol, mm-hmm. and they're now on equal ground, and she gets to she gets to defend herself. Otherwise, it's back to mob tribalism and the strong devour the weak. Period. Right, right. It's like the saying: teach your daughters to shoot because a restraining order is just a piece of paper. <laughs> so yeah. To translate this over to hunting, I mean. What, what was, uh, you know, what's a firearm for, for, for in the hunting world? It's, it's a tool, just like it's a tool to defend yourself, you know, so you can kind of translate those things over, you know, in hunting, it's so important to have a good rifle and to be able to make a lethal ethical kill on, you know, a deer, an elk, whatever it is that you're hunting. And that's part of our heritage. You know, that's part of the fabric of the people in this country. I was talking about it at dinner the other night with our tribal game and fish game warden, he's the same way, you know, he's like, man, if we didn't have hunting, if we didn't have fishing, if we didn't have trapping, like my heritage is gone, right? Like, cause it's such an important piece to so many people. And I know for David and myself and for you that it is a big thing. And we are a small, small portion of the United States as far as, you know, people who do that, for their recreation. You know, if you look at, you know, nationwide, we're a very small percentage and that's why it's so important to tell our story and to tell it well, and to be able to articulate exactly why it's important to be able to have firearms for not just self-defense, but for hunting, for recreation, there's a whole lot of applications for that. So I don't know, what are some other thoughts that you have maybe on, on, on firearms and why it's so important? Well, I think, like you said, it, it extends into a lot of aspects of life. So not only is it important to, you know, the freedom that we deem so value and valuable in the United States, but also when it comes to recreational sports, for a lot of people, you know, 
if they aren't in, you know, and enjoying hobbies like that, like long range or three gun or just target practice with their kids or, you know, four eights, um, they don't, they don't really understand um, how popular it is among, among citizens to enjoy those activities. So um, I think it is a big part of our culture. And I think that it's important for us to educate people who don't understand that on the importance of it, you know, why we enjoy those activities, why it's important to us, and also why the Second Amendment is important to us also when it comes to the, the Constitution and, and our freedoms in the United States. So I think it's a little bit of everything. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize, like if you were born in a big city and you've never been around firearms and the only experience you've had with it is seeing the news where somebody got shot, I mean, of course you're going to be like, mm-hmm. man, I, I don't know what to think about that. But if you're in rural America, you have a totally different viewpoint. So I can understand why there's a disparity between the two, right, David? The, the big disparity is, well, the Second Amendment is outdated. It was written so long ago. That was when we had flintlock muskets, and now we have these fire-repeating arms, right? Well, very, very blatantly, the Gatling gun was invented. Oh, don't quote me like two or three years before the Constitution was written, right? The patent for the first Gatling gun. So multi-fire, multi-barreled weapon. Founding fathers knew what was coming. They knew technology would advance. This, this isn't an outdated old law that needs revamp, right? This is the cornerstone of the civilized society that we live in. And I guarantee you, we cannot pull out the foundation of our country and have it continue to stand. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, if you talk about the way that technology has changed, I mean, I don't see uh, David flying around in an F-22 Raptor either. So, I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, our handguns and our AR-15s are going to do us a lot of good against the F-22. But just, just to put that out there, I mean, things have changed. But, like, what we're talking about is self-defense and hunting and those kind of things that – we as citizens really need to have the ability to do. We need to have the ability to protect our homes, protect our families. Those things are important and we shouldn't take them lightly because they can go away. And we've seen societies where it has and seen the the effects of what has happened in societies who've lost that right. And I point out um, to people a lot of times like what's going on in Ukraine right now Um, Because Ukrainians, um, they weren't allowed to have um, firearms, and then they were invaded by Russia. And we all saw the devastation that that created. And, you know, the United States started sending firearms over to the Ukrainians so that they would have something to defend themselves with. And now you're sending them, you know, an AR-15 style rifle and they have no basic training. They've had no time to take courses and learn, you know, proper safety and how to use it. So a lot of times it's best to have it and be prepared and, you know, hope, hope for the best and still have it worst case scenario. If you ever need it, at least you know how to use it. So, yeah, kind of goes back to what David was saying earlier. You know, there are countries that, train their people on how to use them <laughs> you know they, they have to do a little bit of military and then you have the the complete opposite of that where citizens don't know how to use them at all and 
I mean, that would be a situation I wouldn't want to be in personally. I do want to ask you this. What what do you see as maybe the biggest threat to, you know, the outdoor industry, uh, what I like to call the outdoor way of life with, you know, hunting, fishing and shooting sports? I do. Shooting sports would just be because I think a lot of semi-automatic firearms that pertains to everything, even handguns, and that would, you know, flood over into hunting as well. So now, you know, a lot of people who use an AR-15 to hunt with, and it's different, each state has different laws, but in states where you can use an AR-15 to hunt with, now you can no longer use it. Like I said, it would impact handguns as well. I think another threat um, to fishing and hunting is just, I think in, in our society, there is a shift into thinking that, you know, hunting is bad. You know, like you mentioned, even in movies like Bambi, where they make the hunter out to look like this crazed killer, you know, that'll just shoot at anything and everything. Um, Where in reality, um, a lot of times, you know, hunters just really enjoy the outdoors. They really respect nature and it's part of conservation also. So the benefits of of hunting and fishing, um, we need to keep that going in our society and not have this push that, Hunting is bad and, you know, firearm sports are bad um, because they offer a lot of positive things to our society. I, again, like I said, I was talking about the North American conservation model with some folks and sharing how that is the reason for all of the wildlife that we have in Wyoming. That is the reason for having awesome game and fish, fish and game departments we couldn't do it without it. And Mm -hmm. and David talks a lot about this too. It's, it's so critical. And I I think one of the big risks that we run, especially right now is like you said, it it only takes little changes, but those little changes can add up. So if they say, I know in Canada, they were talking about taking away semi-automatic, you know, rifles. Well, that's, mm-hmm. that's some, you know, that's just, that's a term and you can apply that. Like you said, that could be an AR 15. That could be, you know, your pistol that you use for self-defense. Well then what's next after right. that, you know, then is it any kind of rifle or handgun that carries more than one round? So then now you're down to single shots, you know, like what, what does that end up looking right. like? And so it, it, it becomes kind of a, a domino effect if you don't watch it. And if you're not careful. Yeah, it really does. So I think that just kind of educating people who aren't knowledgeable about about firearms and the differences, because like I said, a lot of people still still think, you know, and, and it's pushed by the media oftentimes that, you know, AR-15s are fully automatic when they're not, they're semi-automatic. You know, that that a 30-round Pasadena magazine, you know, should be banned. Nobody needs 30 rounds for hunting. Well, like we said earlier, you know, the Second Amendment isn't about hunting. It's about being able to protect yourself from a tyrannical government if you ever needed to. And I don't think, like, a, a, an AR-15 is a lot to ask for, you know, like you said, when they have F-22s and, you know, the government is much much more advanced than anything that we have. So what are your thoughts on this, David? You know, I have, I've, I've had quite a few as we've been sitting here listening about 
how hunting and and the the portrayal of us in in the media is right we're we're less than five percent of the population there there's there's five percent that are anti hunting there's five percent that are pro everybody's in the middle right there's a lot of people that oh my dad hunted or my brother or my grandpa. Our image is important, right? What you say and what you portray online and, and how the reality of it is, is important. How we communicate why we're so passionate about what we do. Patrick and I try very hard to portray a good message, right? But it's more important that we need to come together and start standing up for each other's rights. And there's a saying, and I'll misquote it, but basically the government came for all the guys with pitchforks and I didn't have a pitchfork, so I didn't say anything. And then the government came for everybody with axes and I didn't have an axe so I didn't say anything but now the government's coming for me with my torch and there's no one left to help defend me right so just because you're not an AR guy or just because you're not a three gun guy or just because you're not a pistol guy for home defense or you're not a duck hunter or you're not a big game long range guy right really doesn't matter comes down to the fact that we're in a, uh, a debate whether we should have guns in this country at all or not and you, you look at history, you look at Russia, you look at the gulag, right? Gulag, the term Jordan Peterson loves to, to hammer this point. They were the farmers. They were the rural workers. They were the doers. And the government villainized them and victimized that class and said, they're stealing your food. They're the reason that there's a famine. We don't need any more farmers in this country. And they threw them all in jail and prison and killed them. And in a generation, Russia went from, you know, free speech, free free country to the worst socialist country that was around for a while and, you know, huge famines and everybody died. So, you know, we, we sit here and hammer this and, you know, they want to call us names and vilify us and say that we're uneducated or not intelligent, right? Long term, we all need to band together and start supporting one another in all our outdoor activities, whether that's fishing, hunting, recreating in any kind, because they're going after the trappers really hard. They're going after the predator hunters, the predator hunters really hard. Uh, you can get a 200 round magazine for a firearm, but the military is walking around with fully automatic weapons. An AR, like you mentioned before, armor light rifle was a civilian model of what they had in the military. And if you go back to your history, civilians have always coveted what they had in battle as a personal weapon, right? That's going to be continuing for the foreseeable future. But I see that we, a threat is, oh, well, I don't use the black gun, so they're bad. Well, I don't use long range hunting, so it's bad. I'm a bow hunter and we need to prop bow hunting up and we need to tear down long range hunting because it's bad. We need to come together as sportsmen and sportswomen and support each other. Yeah, well said. I agree. So here's, here's the next part of this. We're going to shift gears a whole bunch. And I want to hear... You, you had mentioned that you were interested, like if you could hunt any big game animal, you had mentioned bison. So tell me more about that. Yeah, um, I think if I had the opportunity to hunt for any game, it would definitely be a bison. Um, I don't know if I'll ever get the opportunity, but if it ever arises, I'd love to go out west. I'm an East Coast girl and we don't have any... <laughs> any out my way but i would love to go out west and and hunt for one one day i think that would be awesome yeah so if you were going to do that what caliber would you want to use oh gosh i don't know i'd have to think about it i i, I would probably be <laughs> shopping for a new rifle <laughs> together <laughs> yeah you, so my research 
find something new, I'm, I'm sure. You know, coming from the guide world and a lot of people coming on guided hunts, they always go, I'm going to shop for a new rifle. 100%, do your research, pick a caliber that's suitable. But make sure when you show up that you can, A, handle the weapon, and B, you're accurate with it. And the, my example would be, I've seen plenty of elk fall to a 243, but guys leave their favorite deer rifle at home in favor of a new 300 Magnum Super whatever. They show up and they cannot handle the weapon. They have not practiced with the weapon. I've been much happier if they would have showed up with the old reliable 270-06 and been able to manage it. So my two cents is, is pick whichever you think is suitable. Make sure it's at least bare minimum legal, but be effective and accurate with whatever you bring. Right. And when you do that, you know, you can put in Wyoming has tags. So, you know, you could come out our way and try to hunt a bison out here. Um, those would be, I mean, you can put in for those here pretty quick. And then, you know, once you do harvest that bison and talk about another one of our sponsors is High Mountain. They make a lot of great seasonings that you can put on that bison or if you're going elk hunting or if you're going deer hunting, antelope hunting, whatever it is to help make that meat really good. I mean, they have everything from jerky kits, sausage kits. They have seasoning for steaks. And then, you know, maybe if you're just wanting to have burger, hey, maybe, Rebecca, you would have a bison burger. They have some great burger seasoning that everybody can get. You can buy it from their website. They have great stuff for fish. So you can go to High Mountain Jerky's website. It's HIMTNJerky.com and pick up a kit and try it out. I mean, it's it's wonderful stuff. So hopefully, you know, you can put in, get a bison tag and come out here and get a bison and then get a whole bunch of High Mountain seasonings, take it home and enjoy it. Oh, that sounds great. That would be awesome. So as far as wild game goes or fish or, or whatever it is that you like to eat, what's your favorite kind of natural protein that you like to have and what's one way that you prepare it? I like crappie and generally um, I pan fry it. I have, I usually mix a batter instead of like the breaded breadcrumbs. I like, like the beer batter mix and I eat a lot of venison. So in Pennsylvania, a lot of white tailed deer. So I cook with that a lot also, but I love both. Yeah, that sounds good. So shifting gears a little bit. What's next on the horizon for you? What are some things, you know, that even just closing thoughts for us on the podcast? What are, what are some things that you want to leave people with? Mainly, I would say um, for beginners that are new into the gun world um, who want to start is not to be scared. Uh, everyone starts somewhere. You know, you could find Courses, like you said, with the NRA or a lot of gun shops offer courses. You could get started and help yourself feel more comfortable. Do some reading online, um, but don't be fearful to start. Um, and once you do, uh, I think, you know, people who, who are hesitant or are kind of self-doubting themselves when it comes to handling a firearm will find that, you know, with the proper education and handling it safely that they really, really enjoy it. It's it's a, a really fun thing to get into. Yeah, that's great. And then David, you might want to talk a little bit about Bow Spider. I mean, you've been on the road for quite a while. Where are you guys at right now? We're at the uh, NRA's Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg, PA. We've been here for eight days living in this booth. I don't know if everybody can see the YouTube video or not, but we exist. We're here. It's a great show. 
I actually got to meet the uh, CEO, president of the NRA. He was here shaking hands, kissing babies. It was good to meet him, good to talk. I mean, yeah. So next for us, we're headed to Portland, Oregon, do another show. Uh, we're here demoing, showing off the product. We have the new crossbow model coming, and that's exciting. And then, you know, here pretty soon, we have something really, really exciting coming. Give me six months. I'm always working on something, Patrick. You know that. <laughs> yeah, I do. That's great. And, and if you're interested in bow spider, go to bowspider.com and pick up your bow spider. They'll get one shipped out to you right away. So Rebecca, I just want to say a big thank you for coming on to the podcast with us. It's been fun to talk about firearms and talk about women in firearms specifically. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed being here with you today. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.